When the disciples asked Jesus about the end of the world, Jesus responded with two different Greek words referring to the end. And each one is a different meaning and a different concept, but yet the two go hand in hand. This is key to understanding biblical prophecy and end time events through the perspective of Jesus. So stay tuned to our next episode, part eight, episode nine of Enduring to the End. Hello, and welcome to another podcast, part eight, episode nine of Biblical Keys to Understanding End Time Prophecy and Events. And we are looking at Matthew chapter 24. And just as a little uh, review, we are looking at the words of Jesus, which are key, which are central, and they are the focus of all end time events and prophecy. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that Jesus is if I could say it this way, is like the skeleton of a body. And so the skeleton of the body actually holds the flesh and the organs in its place. It gives it form. It gives it structure. And so Matthew 24 is the structure from where all other prophetic words and visions must tie in to the words of Jesus. Now, why do I say that they must tie in to the words of Jesus? Because the words of Jesus are on another level, higher than the words of the prophets and apostles. What do I mean by that? I'm not saying that the prophets and the the apostles were not inspired by the Holy Ghost. That's not what I'm saying. But if we look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, It says that God at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. And so what we have is God in the flesh. And he's the one that actually gave the words and the visions to the prophets. And so the one who's giving the words and visions to the prophets and the apostles, now he has come in the flesh, and he's the he's heir of all things, and he is the prophet, he is the apostle, he is the pastor, he is the evangelist, he is the teacher. And so the teacher, the prophet, the son of God, has uh, obviously the highest position, and he is over all the prophets, and over all the apostles. And so the problem that happens in um, prophecy relating to end time events is that we can take a verse and put it out of its biblical context with the words of Jesus. And so anyone can pick and choose a scripture. Anyone can grab a verse and put it wherever they want to. 
But what Matthew chapter 24 and Mark 13 does, what Jesus does is give a, a structure to where all the other prophets and books of the Bible and visions fall into that structure. So that is what, uh, why I say that uh, Scripture shows very clearly that the words of Jesus are preeminent. He is the foundation. Uh, he is the cornerstone. And so everything is measured by the cornerstone. That is the most important piece in the structure of the building, the cornerstone. And from there, all the other measurements are taken. And we can see that in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, where it says in verse 20, And you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And so everything must fit in with the words of Jesus. And so this is a key to understanding end time events. So what I'm trying to do in uh, this series is give you bits and pieces of a puzzle. And as we work our way through Matthew 24, we're always looking at this focus, at this structure, and how everything else is going to relate to the words of Jesus. And so when we do this, when we understand this, then everything is going to fall into place. The, the Word of God really is like a puzzle. The Word of God is a, 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 is a puzzle, and as we put the pieces together and let them fall, let the chips fall where they may, as the saying says, and let the Word of God interpret itself. We compare Scripture with Scripture, and we also uh, take the literal meaning of the Word of God you know, that the Bible is basically a literal word of God. There was a literal journey of Israel. There was a literal creation. Uh, there is a literal, uh, for example, uh, temple that was built. Now, there are spiritual applications. There are parables that bring forth spiritual truths. There are some allegories that help us understand spiritual truths. However, as a whole, the Word of God is to be taken literally. There are a literal uh, number of years. There are words that describe things literally. And so, as we look at Matthew chapter 24, we are looking at literal events that are going to take place. Jesus is describing literal things. There will be nations against nations. There will be kingdoms against kingdoms, famines, pestilence, earthquakes in diverse places. These are the beginning of birth pains. The, these are literal things that are going to happen. And so this is very important to understand Matthew 24 as the structure, the center, the focus that is where everyone else hangs on to uh, their, their prophecy and their visions. They must tie in with the words of Jesus. So we're looking at Matthew now, chapter 24. 
and verse, uh, we ended up the previous podcast on verse 12, that, it, that because of iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And that word wax cold means to, to breathe uh, lightly and slowly. In other words, it's not a rushing burst of a, of a hurricane wind force, but it's a cold wind that just slowly comes upon uh, a person. And so this iniquity is going to slowly grow. It's like a cold, a very, very bitter Arctic cold air. And uh, when I was young and lived in Pennsylvania, one of the things that during my time in high school that myself and other friends we would like to do is go ice skating or play ice hockey uh, in the wintertime. And so January and February, the ponds would get frozen. And of course, it would be very, very cold. And so we would build a bonfire at the edge of the pond. Now, even though that, that bonfire was very, very big, it did not heat up the whole pond. In fact, if we wanted to feel the heat, and let's say it was uh, 10 below zero, 5 below zero, and it's at nighttime, and it's a clear sky, and you can see all the stars, it's going to be very, very cold, even more so if there's a slight breeze and there's a wind. And so in order to feel the warmth of the fire, we literally had to get very close. And even though I would have a good pair of socks on, my feet would still get cold, and I would have to put my, my skates close to, my feet close to the fire in order to feel the warmth. And so what Jesus is saying here is really that because of the increase of iniquity, the increase of the spiritual coldness, and people not drawing closer to Jesus in those times. You see, the times of darkness and difficulties we really, we must get closer to Jesus. We must draw closer to Him. He is that consuming fire that will keep us warm. It is His first, that first love with Him. It's that devotion to Him. It's that focus on Him. It's that giving of ourselves to Him. It's that loving Him. It's a relationship with Him. And so, unless people get closer to the Lord... What's going to happen, Jesus is saying, is that the coldness, the spiritual coldness and darkness is, is slowly going to overtake the pers- a person. And you know the, the story of a frog in hot water. Uh, a frog, if you put him in cold water and just slowly, gradually heat it, he'll stay there and he'll adjust to it. And he'll eventually die when it gets too hot. Whereas if you throw it into boiling water right away, of course, the frog is going to react. And so what has happened and what the enemy does is he gradually ups up the, um, the iniquity. He, he turns it up a notch. He turns it up a notch. And unless we are staying close to the Lord, unless that relationship with him is staying hot, 
And the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the, the flow of the Spirit of God is moving in us. And we are being sensitive to the Lord. And we are drawing from Him and yielding to Him and responding to Him. Unless we are doing that, the cold of sin, the, the cold of this world, and the darkness of this world and sin is going to overtake people. And so the Lord is speaking of many that uh, are going to fall away. The love, that's the agape love for God. In other words, not just love towards God, <clears throat> but love towards one another. The agape love is going to grow cold. And so we must be careful about this. Now, Jesus goes on to say in verse 13, but he that shall endure unto the end. Throughout the word of God, we see that the Christian walk, the Christian life is a race. Paul likens it to a race in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 and onwards. It is a race that requires endurance. This is a marathon. This is a spiritual marathon, a spiritual endurance. And the word endure means to persevere. It means to be able to carry a burden. It is not only just carrying something, enduring something, but it's also enduring it with cheerfulness, with having a vision and having a purpose set before you. Uh, many years ago, I'm going to say maybe about uh, 15, no, I'm going to say maybe more like 12 years ago, uh, there was a team that came down here to Costa Rica and they were doing a community project and it required them to do some cement work up in a mountain. Now, from where the road ended, there was a trail and that trail was about a kilometer and a half, more or less, to where they were up in the mountain. And I was overseeing the team and this project that we were doing, and we needed more cement. And so I tried to find a horse, someone that could lend me a horse, and there was no horse available. And there was no other way. And the team had to continue working. So I could not afford to let them quit where they were and not finish the work. So the only option that I had was to put that 50 kilos of cement on my back, on my shoulders, and begin to walk with that for about a kilometer and a half in the mountain. Now, I would not do that anymore. I was much younger and uh, I was more fit, I should say. And so about half ways, I needed a rest. And I found a tree that had a Y in it, and it was just at the, the height of about my shoulders. And I was able to lay the cement bag in that Y and get a breather and then pick it up and go on up the mountain. And the last part was the hardest part. And it was literally going up about 45 degree angle up into the mountain. And always before me was this knowledge and this, the fact that I had to get this to them. This was a vision that was before me. This was my motivation. And this is what 
caused me to keep enduring and persevering in order to reach the goal. See, there was a goal that was set before me. Now, there was a work that needed to be done, and there was a goal that we had as a team to get accomplished. But it took me carrying this bag of cement and enduring with with joy, with cheerfulness. In other words, I was doing this, not complaining. I wasn't blaming the group. I wasn't blaming anyone else. But I did have before me this goal. I must do this because we have to do this for the community. The community needs this project done. It's very important. And so that was motivating me. And that's what we call having a vision before us. Now, that was a a natural vision, but God wants to give us a spiritual vision. He wants to reveal to us the joy that He has for us in heaven. And not only in heaven, but the rewards that we will receive on earth from the work that we have done. You see, when we leave this earth, It says some works go before us and some follow us. And so how wonderful it would be, it will be to go to heaven and see the rewards, the treasures that we have laid up on earth, uh, uh, from earth into heaven, but also being in heaven and seeing our works follow us. And so this is the thought that I want you to have as we look at this next word. It says, those that endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now, that word end, that word end in the Greek means to set out for a definite goal or point. To set out for a definite goal or point. And Jesus mentions this. It's mentioned for the first time in Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. Matthew 10 Verse 22, and it says, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endures to the goal, to the, def, the, the defined goal, to, to the defined point, shall be saved. Now, when Jesus was asked in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, when will be the end of the world? That word And is a different Greek word. And it means the entire completion, the consummation. And so there is a period that is coming when there is a consummation of this age, of this world. And we're going to move into a different uh, time period, a different time period that prophetically the scriptures call the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. And so that's something that we will look more into in another podcast in more detail. But the point I want to bring out here is that in verse 13, he that endures to the end, he that endures to the end. Now, that word, endure to the end, like I said, is a point, a point that we are looking at, a a goal that we are are looking at. Now, what is that goal? What is that goal? Well, let's go back to that word, the end of the world in verse 3. The end of the world, verse 3. 
And we will see that the very first time that it's mentioned, the law of first mentioned, is in Matthew 13, 39. And Jesus says, The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end. That is the consummation of the world, and the reapers are the angels. Verse 40, As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end the consummation, the entire completion of this world. Verse 49, So shall it be at the end, the entire uh, completion, the consummation of the world, the angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just. And so Jesus is now giving us a clue of what his perspective of the end is of this world is. There is a separation, there is a separation, a severing from the just and the wicked. That is the tares and the wheat. And listen to what he says in verse 50, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. That's the tares, the wicked. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And so we're understanding that there is an end. There's a separation that's taking place. And we know from the parable of the wheat and tares that both have to grow to maturity. Both have to grow to maturity. And so what is the goal when Jesus says in verse 13, but he that shall endure... That is, he that shall persevere unto the goal, the same shall be saved. Well, what is the goal? It's the end of the matter. And what is the end of the matter? It is a tremendous separation and harvest, a gathering of the righteous and a gathering of the wicked. And so that's why these parables that we find in Matthew chapter 13 are so important to understand and put in also the context of the end times. And specifically when we're dealing with the church, the the elect of God. You know, the Word of God calls the born-again believers the elect of God. The elect of God. We have been elected. We have been chosen by God in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. So, for example, in Romans chapter 8, verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Uh, Colossians 3, verse 12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved. And 1 Timothy 5, 21, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. Now, here, this word elect is speaking about a group of angels that have been chosen. In other words, they are different from the angels that have fallen, that have fallen. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake. And so uh, 1 Peter 1, 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. And so really we see that the thought of the elect are those who through the blood of Jesus 
have come to Christ through the foreknowledge of God. We are elect according to the foreknowledge. God knows who are those that are going to come into the kingdom. And so this thought of wheat and tares coming to maturity is very important because the end, the end of the matter, the end of the matter of the wheat and tares is this. And if we go to Matthew chapter 13, verse 30, it says, Let both grow together until the harvest. And so Jesus, as I mentioned before, is looking at the church through the lens of an agricultural perspective. He's using something in the natural to help us understand a spiritual truth. And this is another key to understanding end-time prophecy in events. Jesus will use natural things to help, under, uh, help us understand spiritual truths. And so, in the time of harvest, I will say, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And so, we are going to see the end of the matter is going to be the whole earth is going to be reaped. The whole earth is going to be reaped. It's going to be gathered in. It's like the parable of the net. It's like the parable of the net in Luke 13, verse 47. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end. Now that word end is the consummation, the entire completion of the world. The angel shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And so I want you to capture this picture, this perspective of Jesus. There is an end. And that Greek word, just for uh, reference, is Strong's G4930. There is an end. There is a consummation, the final and what is the final, the consummation of the world that the, that the disciples wanted to know? Well, Jesus is letting them know in the parables that is when the tares have come to maturity and the wheat has come to maturity. And then there is a separation of the two and each one is harvested. And we see that harvest. We see that harvest, that gathering in Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14, verse 14, I looked and behold a white cloud. Now see a, see that word cloud? Now we're, when we compare scripture with scripture, we are looking at Matthew chapter 24 and, and verse 29 and onwards. And it mentions the same uh, idea that it says... <clears throat> In verse 30, the Son of Man shall come in the clouds of heaven. And so the same thing in 1 Thessalonians. I'll just quickly go there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. We shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. And so the, here in Revelation there is uh, the Son of Man on the, on the cloud. He has a golden crown, and in his hand is a sharp sickle. 
And listen to what the angel says. Thrust in your sickle. Now this is the wheat. The wheat has now been separated from the tares. The tares have been gathered together and separated completely from the wheat. For the time is come for thee to reap. For the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he, the one that was sat on the cloud thrust the sickle on the earth and the earth was reaped. And so the whole earth, the wheat was gathered. Now see, that is the end, the consummation, and that is the gathering of the wheat unto the Lord in the clouds. And then after that, there's another angel, and this angel brings the wrath of God unto the tares. And so this is very important to understand as we are looking at end-time prophecy and events, to understand Jesus' perspective and what he is saying about the end times. There is a final end, but there's also an end that is a goal. And there is a goal that we are to achieve, and that is maturity. You see, we have a goal to achieve in Christ Jesus, and it is to grow up into him and become mature and become glorious as he is. The church will be a glorious mature bride for Jesus when he comes for her. And this is something that we see in Scripture in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 26 and 27. Jesus is coming for a bride that is full of his glory without spot or wrinkle. And then in Revelation chapter 19, we see that the bride in verses 7 and 8 has made herself ready. Jesus is not going to marry a little girl. You see, there are three levels of maturity in Scripture. Little children, young men, and fathers and mothers in the Lord. That is equivalent to the outer court of the tabernacle of Moses, the holy place, and the holy of holies. And the Lord Jesus is coming for a mature bride who is going to sit with him on his throne at his side. So that is an extremely very high calling. It is a holy calling. And that is what God is calling the church to. That is what he is looking for. And you see, to close this up in James chapter 5, in James chapter 5, again, the apostles are tying in with Jesus. They find their place in Jesus' uh, testimony, his teaching, his sharing on the end times. And so James chapter 5, verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. That is when he comes in the clouds for the harvest, for the mature church that is going to reap it, what we call the rapture, the gathering of ourselves unto him, the parousia. And before that takes place, there will be a resurrection. That's very important. There is no parousia. There is no rapture without first a resurrection of the saints. And so he says, behold, the husbandman. Now the husbandman is the father. John chapter 15, verse 1. And so the father is waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. You see how the father, see how God looks at us as fruit? Now if you take that word fruit, where do we find that word in the book of Galatians? How does that relate to God? Well, it's called the fruit of the Spirit. 
And there are nine fruits of the Spirit that He wants to mature and bring to completion in us. And so we have to understand that God looks at our lives as fruit, as something that is growing, that it has an end. You see, the end, the consummation of a fruit that has been planted, a tree that has been planted to bear fruit, is not to harvest it when it's just budding or harvest it when it's just green, uh, but it is to harvest it when it is mature, when it is ripe, when it is ready for the picking. That is the end. And the goal, the goal is for that tree to produce mature fruit. And so he says, James says, he, God waits for the precious fruit with long patience until he received the early and the latter rain. And we will get into this in another podcast. But the early and the latter rain is referring naturally to two seasons of rain that Israel received. And spiritually, it refers to the outpouring of the Spirit of God, the early rain on the day of Pentecost. But there is coming upon the fruit, the harvest, the, the, the wheat that is growing and the fruit that is maturing, there is coming an outpouring of God's Spirit that will bring the fruit, that will bring the wheat to maturity. And then, he says, we, the Lord will come. You see the word, be patient, therefore, brethren. See, there we have to endure. We have to persevere unto the end. Why? Because iniquity is going to increase and abound. And it is, a, it is a race of faith, and we must endure so that God can bring that maturity in us. In other words, we have to endure for God's sake also, so that we don't cut short the work of God in our life. We do not want to cut short God's work. We must learn to endure through these difficulties, because these are times where we will draw closer to God and He will change us. He will transform us. He will give us His strength. He will give us His joy. He will give us His peace. He will give us what we need. He will feed us. He will pastor us. And so we're going to stop right here because I've gone a little bit further than I wanted to in time-wise. But I just want you to understand what Jesus is referring to when he's talking about the end. There is a goal. That goal is maturity. And the consummation in consummation is the harvest, the gathering of the church. So thank you for listening to this podcast. And we will be looking at verse 14 in our next podcast. There's something very exciting that is about to take place prophetically. And it's Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, the great last day revival. We must see the gospel go forth, the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, to go forth in all the world as a witness with tremendous power, signs, and wonders. This will be the theme of our next episode as we look at part nine, the Great Last Day Revival.